So just one verse in Matthew 12 and verse 30, please. Again, the Lord Jesus is the speaker. And he says, he that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. I don't think we will need to worry about, this is part two of don't sit on the devil's fence. Don't sit on the devil's fence. We don't need to go through it because tonight is the same uh, the same theme of the scripture is what we'll be speaking on is with Christ or against him. And some people may say, well, I am not against Christ whatsoever, but yet I do want to follow him. I'm not against Christ, but, you know, I'm not a Christian. I'm not uh, in that sort of place with God, so I'm just not for him, but I'm not against him. I sit on the fence. Well, you see, according to the Lord Jesus, who's the speaker here, There's no fence sitting when it comes to him, whether it's in serving him and obeying, walking according to his word, or whether it's in someone who's unsaved needing to come to him. Don't sit on the devil's fence because you see, you making, or you not making, as it were, the decision to come to Christ is you making a decision not to follow Christ. It's as simple as that. Jesus says, he that is not with me is against me. But Jesus, I'm I'm, I'm not against you, but I'm really just not with you. No, Jesus says there's nothing but either with him or you're against him, according to his own word. We looked at quite a bit last week, and we finished where even in Joel chapter 3 and verse 13, the Lord speaks about... uh, putting in the sickle, for the harvest was ripe, and the the fats were full. And he says, now the harvest time has come. And in verse 14 of Joel 3, it says, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. The day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And many of us tend to think that this means there's still time if you're in that valley. That's not what the scripture here means. It means the word decision, we opened it up for you, having time tonight. But it gives the idea of being sharp, decisive, straight to the point. So the folly of decision does not mean that you have a decision to make. It means some people, it's too late for them. They've already made the decision by not coming to him. And the valley is the valley of their determined doom. They've been sharp. They've been decisive. We don't want to know Christ. They've been so sharp and so decisive, so blunt and dead in their sin and trespasses that even if they hear the word of God and the gospel, remember, we talked about the winnowing fan of Christ. The winnowing fan being the word of God, the winnowing fan that separates the wheat from the chaff. That winnowing fan is the gospel of your salvation and the word of God that reaches every heart and blows, as it were, away that which is not of God. Here we're told something. That Jesus says, are you with me? Now that's something for you to to ponder in your heart tonight. That's something for you to think about. Didn't say what church you went to. Doesn't say what denomination you say you belong to. Didn't say what you even went to Sunday school as a child. He says, are you with me? Do you know me? Are you saved? In other words, are you mine? 
And the other flip side of that is then if you're not with him, he says, you are against me. You see, sometimes we don't realize that our own indecisiveness is our making a decision. And so we want to look at a few things along the same manner of Jesus saying, are you with me or against me? Matthew 12 and 30, he that is not with me is against me. Will you turn with me to Joshua chapter 24, please? Joshua chapter 24. Now, we can't go through all of this, obviously, uh, for reasons of time. Joshua gathers the children of Israel in Shechem. Strangely, we were talking about Shechem this morning. The place between two shoulders, it means the center of the back. And there he gathers them together. He rehearses what God has done for them and done with them. And he speaks in verse 2 unto the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time. Even Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nahor, which served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. The flood mentioned here is not Noah's flood, by the way. That was way before Abraham. The flood here was the swelling of Jordan. When they all walked through Jordan and they put the 12 stones that God had separated Jordan as he did the Red Sea. See, he's the same God with the same expectancy and he still does the same miracles. Still saves in the same manner through the blood, through the sacrifice of his son. And notice what he says here. He says, your fathers were on the other side of the flood or or of Jordan. Verse 4, and I give unto Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. I give unto Esau, Mount Seir, to possess it. To Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. I sent Moses also and Aaron, and and I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them, and afterward I brought you out. Notice what he's saying, Isaac, Abraham's son. He says, I give him two sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau, he says, the one who sold his birthright, remember, for the pottage, He says, Esau, I gave Mount Seir to him. That was his land. I gave that to Esau. That's why when you read of Idumea or Esau or Edom or Seir, S-E-I-R, they're the same people, speaking of the same people. He says, I gave Mount Seir unto him. And the strange thing is here, he says, but in verse 4, Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. Do you not think it's strange that God would put his own in slavery into Egypt, yet seems to bless the ungodly in Mount Seir. Lord, why have you given Esau Mount Seir? And yet you've given us whom you say are your own. You're called, you're chosen, you're a lack nation. Why would you give us Egypt? Simple reason is, you see, sometimes we think because the world seems to prosper in a way that the church seems to be crushed. But do you not know in the crushing of an olive comes the precious oil? Do you not know in the crushing of the grape comes forth the wine? And they were sent into Egypt, why? That God would show them his mighty working power, to humble them and then show his power. Listen, and his saving grace. Esau never came under the blood of the Lamb. Esau never had it on the doorposts and the door lintels. Esau never knew what it was to be like to be brought out of Egypt. Oh, they had plenty and God blessed them. 
But you know, you, brother and you, sister, you can rejoice tonight because you know what it's like. You have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You know what it's like to come out under the blood. You know what it's like to be under the blood of the Lamb. You know what it's like to have your household in a Christian household. You know what it's like to bring them up before God, to fall in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. How blessed are we that even at times, even in the church history, how it's been crushed, but yet, although it's been crushed by many, yet it still lives on and thrives because Jesus said that it would. Notice here, when we run on down in Joshua 24, notice what it says in verse 14. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. Here is the decision to be made for God's people to serve him. You look, you know, we, we, but we like the, the gods that we had because they didn't ask anything of us. There's no expectancy from the gods of Egypt and off the other side of the river or the flood. There's no expectancy of us. You know, there's no responsibility with this. And many Christians are like that. You see, we want the salvation, but we don't want the Savior at times. We don't want the word, and people are like that too. We don't want the word because, you know, we're all right as we are and are as we were. We want to live. Because the gods of this world's system of things, that is the small g, they're not gods at all. The false gods, they don't require anything from me. But once I hear the word of God, I see it starts to cut asunder and to divide the things of my heart and the things of my life and the decisions that I would make. And it starts to challenge me what I should do and how I should be and, and the righteousness I should walk in and, a, and living a proper life before him. It starts to challenge my heart because, you see, God, if you sent me to let me worship back there, but give me the blessing of being in your heaven. It's not the world. You know, I, I believe in a God, but I'll sit on the fence. I'm not with you, Jesus. I'll sit on the fence, but listen, I know if I die that I'll go to heaven. That's not true. That is not true. Here the Lord says, will you serve me? Will you follow me? Will you come after me? Verse 15, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Notice Joshua says, listen, you have a choice. Do you want the Lord or do you not? Do you want to serve him or do you want to serve the world and the things of the world or the gods of Egypt and the gods before the flood? He says, you choose because he says, this is a big decision for you. There's no sitting on the fence with God. In other words, don't sit on the devil's fence because the devil owns the fence. And here he says, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers, which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. He says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve uh, the Lord. This is a call to all. 
But here is the answer of only some. Lord, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Someone phoned me yesterday. And they just happened to mention about a real opening to go and preach the gospel. And he says, we're praying about this, but it's going to be where we're hoping to get myself in to these areas where we'll be preaching the gospel to many people supported by quite a few, or quite a number, I should say. And they says, would you be up for doing it? I know it's a lot. I know you have a lot on. I know there's a lot happening. And I know you're trying to keep your hand on CET and keep the work rolling forward and going on. Would you be able to do it? You have a tent mission coming up. We heard about this and that. But would you be able to do it? Would you think, would you be up for it? I says, I will sacrifice my time. I will sacrifice what I have to make sure I go to serve the Lord, to reach the lost. That was my reply. Brothers and sisters, could I ask you, are you ready to sacrifice for him? You see, God requires something, not for your salvation. Salvation is by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Salvation is a free gift. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Not one of us can say to God on that day, I did it by my own strength, on my own merit, or I added one jot nor tittle or ounce to what Christ has done. Because once we try to add something to what Christ has done, we nullify the power of the blood in our lives. And we give all the glory to ourselves. What about the church in these dark days and last days being willing to sacrifice? I choose. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But you know, I have children and I can't control them. Listen, you serve the Lord and pray for your children then. I have two girls. And I'm concerned about them growing up. They're getting bigger. One of them's thankfully here singing tonight. And they're getting bigger. But I know the world's out there. And all you young people are out there. All you young people are here and will love to see you in. But let me tell you, I know you're going to go away to the beach soon and have your meeting on the beach and your barbecue and your times. And it's great that you're in the house of the Lord this evening. But let me tell you, it comes to a place and a point and a time where you must choose. Is it Christ for you or is it the word? Well, you see, the word feeds our flesh and the word makes us feel better and everybody else is doing it. Joshua says, if you want to go to the gods out there, then you can go there. But if you want to serve the Lord, then serve him. I don't mean this to be ignorant, so forgive me if it sounds that way, but I want it to get across to everyone. Listen, see if Christ is worth it to you, then serve him. And serve him. And if he isn't, and the world keeps luring you, then go and serve the devil if that's what you want. Brother, don't you let your friends or your other influences drag you to a devil's hell. Friend, you hear me? Because there you'll stand alone.
Joshua proclaimed that Christ is Lord of his house. I just was speaking to my younger daughter, Ellie, last night about a certain issue, about certain people that she knows. And her words were, Dad, you know, not all families are like our families. And I says, I know, love, I grew up in a pretty rough family. I grew up a pretty rough way. I had loving parents, but I grew up rough. She says, I'm so glad, Dad. I'm so glad. I sat in my car last night at 11 o'clock. She says, I'm so glad, she says, I've grown up in a Christian household. Brother, sister, train up your child in the way it should go. Brother and sister, you know, your children, your son, brother, your son, if you treat your wife wrong in front of them, he'll think it's all right to treat other women like that. And sister, if you treat your husband in a wrong way, your children will think it's all right to treat their future husbands like that. And if the household is full of alcohol and full of whatever else and cursing and swearing. Guess what? They know no different and they grow up the same way. Brother, sister, listen, live for Christ. Choose ye this day whom you will serve. Is it today for Christ? Don't sit on the devil's fence. For Jesus says, he that is not with me is against me. It makes me think of Acts chapter 24, if you want to turn over, if you want to just listen. Acts chapter 24, Paul is arrested, and now he's standing before the governor, Felix. And if you let your eye down, if you're looking at at it, Acts 24, it says in verse 24, And after certain days when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, He sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, notice Felix trembled and answered. Notice Felix. He knows fine rightly. He's under conviction. The word of God is speaking to him. And maybe even the Holy Ghost is dealing with him at this point. I don't know. But he's trembling. Go thy way for this time, he says. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Here Felix is told, here is the way of salvation. Righteousness and temperance, he says. Paul's preaching Christ unto him. Faith in Christ. Faith in Christ alone, our cornerstone as we sang. He's preaching faith in Christ and in none other. And this governor, Felix, with his Jewess wife standing beside him, he starts to shake under the word of God. He trembles in fear. And rather say, it's Christ for me. It's Christ for me. He runs from Christ rather than running to Christ. I will call for you when I have a convenient season. I'll call for you when I have another time. But see at the minute, Paul, I can't listen to this stuff. 
We never read of him hearing the gospel again. We know not of Felix, nor of Drusilla. In Acts chapter 26, we hear of around the same time. He brings him to Agrippa. So he now stands before Agrippa. Agrippa is the king. And he says in Acts chapter 26, if you just let your eye run down for reading time's sake, he's been preaching Christ again. And in verse 27, Paul says, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. You see, the scriptures in this day wasn't the New Testament for it was being written. The scriptures in this day was the Old Testament, the prophets. What did the prophets speak of? Christ's coming, the Messiah's coming, the Savior's coming, the Redeemer's coming. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. They all pointed to the Savior. They all pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming, he's coming. John the Baptist at the River Jordan says, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world when he walks down onto the River Jordan. Jesus says, not he's coming. He says, I am come. I am come. The one this prophets had spoken of had come. And now Paul, he says to Agrippa, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know thou believest. Friend, maybe someone, whether here or those who listen online, maybe have grown up from Sunday school. And have Helen, all the wee ones growing up, teaching them the word every Sunday. Maybe like Sarah at Lighthouse. Then the youth of the church, like Ian and Alice and all the leaders. And they're hearing it and they're hearing it and they're hearing it. And maybe one of them is here and you've went into the world and you've went on your way and you've served the gods before the flood, that is, before the crossing over. You've served the gods of the heathen and of this world. And now you're here and Jesus is saying, he that is not with me is against me and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. And now I'm telling you, I'm saying to you tonight, sir, lady, friend, whoever you may be, believest thou the prophets? Believe the word that you were taught as a child, maybe on your mother's knee or your grandmother's knee or in the Sunday schools or the wee clubs that you went to. Do you believe it? Make it come alive in your life for the word of God is still living. I know you believe it. He says in verse 28, it says, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Oh, I trust this, and says, Isn't anyone here? Almost thou persuaded me to be a Christian. I know you believe. I know you know the prophets. I know you know the word of God. But you'd rather have everything else but him. And he says, You almost persuaded me there, Paul. Ken, you've almost persuaded me through the preaching of the word. You've almost got me there. You see, you've sat on the fence. Jesus says, he that is not with me is against me. So so near yet so far. Listen, Judas was that, that close. He kissed 
the gate of heaven and he went to hell. In 1 Kings chapter 18, there's a story of Elijah the prophet. And you can read when you go home, especially read all the chapter, 1 Kings chapter 18. And they build altars, and the heathen builds an altar, and they start jumping on it and cutting themselves and calling on to a false god of Baal. And Elijah starts to repair the altar of the Lord, and he puts it all in place, having time to go into it tonight. And the Lord answers by fire. And in 1 Kings 18 and verse 21, it says, And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt thou between two opinions? Look at this. Here's the reality. They're jumping up and down here and cutting themselves. They're jumping up and down and calling on a false god. Trying to do it in their own flesh by their own merit. Look, this is what it This is what the world brings you to. A God who is no God but will destroy you at the end. Now here is the God who answers by fire. How long halt ye between two opinions? What more do you need? Well, what does God do nowadays? What miracles does he do? Well, I've seen other miracles, but just look at the man in the pulpit. You've seen how he's been a sinner saved by sovereign grace. Think of the Christians that's sitting in among you, the ones before you, beside you, or behind you. They were all in sin and depravity of nature, dead before God, and the Holy Ghost came and quickened them at the preaching of the word. That's a miracle, dead unto life. How long are you going to halt between two opinions? Listen to what he says. How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. If the Lord be God, follow him. Listen, and the people answered him not a word. Look, we're not for him. But you know what, Elijah, we're not really against him. They answered him not a word. They sat on the fence. But the devil owns the fence. Don't sit on the devil's fence. You know, silence is consent. Their silence was consent that they would not follow and serve the Lord. What did the Lord expect? As for me and my house, we will be at this altar. The altar of shed blood. The altar of holy fire. We will be at the altar of the water of the word of God. Spirit, water, and blood at the altar where Elijah had repaired and built. Where's that altar? It's called Calvary. It's called Calvary. You know, time has beaten me tonight. Of two minutes. In Exodus 32, Elijah goes up the mountain and he's receiving the tablets of stone to write the Ten Commandments on it. And down below in the valley, Israel, they get a wee bit bored because he's away about 40 days. 
what's happened to this Moses fellow? He's not coming back. I tell you what, Aaron, make us gods. So they take all their gold and they form two golden, or a golden calf, pardon me, and they start to worship around the golden calf. And I need you to see this because this is the world we're living in. Exodus 32, verse 26, it says, Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp. Moses comes down to find him up to all sorts of sin. And he cries, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come to me, and all the sons of Levi gathered together unto him. And when Moses saw that the people, notice in verse 25, when Moses saw that the people were naked, Girls, put up Exodus 32, verse 25, please. I want you to see this, because this is the world we're living in. I'm going to stop right at this point. When Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron made them naked unto their shame before their enemies. See the word naked there? It's the word para. Para. And it means to be let loose. To ignore, to avoid, to be unrestrained. You know, that's the message of the world today. And that's the message that's crept into the church. Now, now don't be too hard. And don't be preaching that heaven and hell stuff. And don't be preaching the gospel every week. And don't be talking about Jesus. Because we don't need to hear about him every week. Tell us how to have a blessed day and a blessed life. And ten ways to have a happy home. And, and give us all of those nice things. Because that's really what really feeds our flesh. No, listen, the nakedness is coming into the church. The people were naked. It means they had no restraint. They were, without, they were without moral compass or moral code. That's what it means. For example, in Proverbs 29 and 18, it says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. See the word perish? It's the same word for naked. Strange that, isn't it? The same word for naked is the word perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And you see, we hear it in church circles, where there is no vision, the people perish. And I know what what they're trying to say, but that's not what it means. The idea here is, where there is no vision, no revelatory word, where there's no message from the word of God, where it's not faithfully preached, they perish in the sense that the people cast off all moral constraints and become ungovernable. That's what it means. You can't govern them anymore. So they, they perish with it. They perish with it. Why? Because there's no word. It's all have a blessed day. Now you see why Jesus says, he that is not with me is against me. And that's why some Christians go, that's a bit strong, that guy in CET, you know. Not sure if I want to go to him. And what's been said? Go online, on the ladder to the door. <laughs> it's been said. but it's not me you're fighting with. It's the word of God they fight with. I ask you, are you with the Lord? 
How many are saved? Christian, are you willing to sacrifice to be on his side too in the sense to serve him, to follow him? This is what he says. Who's on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. We looked at that more in depth last week. Gathering and scattering. We can't do it now. But may God take his own precious word. And may he bless it to every single heart. And to everyone who hears it. And may we be ready to sacrifice for service as Christians. And if you're not saved. May this be the time to say, Lord Jesus, I'm coming. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. May you get saved, born again, for his name's sake and glory. Amen.